0: I want you to stand with me this morning. I want to pray. I want to talk to you especially about in the context of the children that God has given us. And I've just simply entitled this message, Live, Love, and Pray. And I'm going to ask you to agree with me in prayer this morning that we would hear from God. Father, each Sunday as we stand in your presence, the desire of our heart and the hope of our heart is that we hear from you. And that in hearing from you, we will be taught and we will be instructed. And Lord, that we will be given wisdom that we need, not only to serve you, but to serve others. And especially the children, the grandchildren, the great-grandchildren that you have entrusted us with. Lord, that the neighbor children that you've entrusted us with, that sometimes want to talk to us and ask us questions. Lord, the children in the church that will look up to someone because he's a firefighter or she's a doctor or they're a school teacher or they're a carpenter. And I've watched these children over the years, Lord, ask questions. And I pray that not one of us, Lord, will ever, ever forget the power of our influence as we live, as we love, as we pray, and as we serve among these children. So now I ask you for that special something that you give, Lord, the anointing of the Holy Spirit to preach your word. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. If you're new or visiting with us today, just grab an outline and follow along with us. I think you'll take some things home that will be interesting to you and helpful. And you may find some points that are not in the bulletin, but they'll be up on the screen that you might want to write down as well. Tyndall Research and Barna research got together, and I've used Barna quite a bit around here and shared those the results of their studies with you, but they did a search of people who read their Bibles. Here's some of the things that Barna came up with. 82 percent of regular Bible readers describe themselves as at peace compared to 58 percent of people who never read their Bible. Now that's a staggering statistic. 82% say that there's peace in their life just from reading the Bible. 78% of regular Bible readers said they felt happy all or most of the time compared to 67% of people who didn't read their Bibles. And 68% of regular Bible readers said they were full of joy. Now think about that. Being full of joy... Compared to those who never read their Bibles, and only about 44% of the people that were surveyed said they lived their lives in a way that was full of joy. It's why one of the values here at Woodland Church that we teach and preach a lot is that everybody deserves, everybody needs a biblical moral compass to guide them and to protect them in their life. I was fortunate in the public high school that I attended to have teachers that believed the Bible, and teachers that taught us that the Bible was different than the other books of literature that we read, teachers that would tell us in a public school, which I know doesn't happen today. but. Teachers had taught us that the Bible was the living Word of God, and that the Bible was relevant. And being taught those things as I grew up helped me, and also taught me that it would be a sin to ever make the Bible irrelevant to anybody. And so, one of the things that I've always tried to do in my preaching, and in my teaching, and in my own personal devotions, and I write every day in my journal, in my devotion, is called a. A lab statement and it's just simply a life application principle that I that I use in my life for my Bible reading and there may be some days I'll read it especially if I'm in the begats or especially if I'm in the book of Leviticus and I'll go Lord I just couldn't find one today you'll have to help me out with this later because sometimes those parts can be rather challenging But by and large, I'd say nearly every day of the year, I'm taking something out of the Word that I'm able to serve Christ with, I'm able to serve other people with. A couple of of months ago, I used a story from the New York Times, and I talked to you about the distractions in life. And I used this story from the New York Times along with a book that I recommended to you called Digital Minimalism. I use that to illustrate how we get so distracted from protracted thinking and long thinking that most Americans, and especially our younger generation, they're not learning how to think and to process anymore because of the constant distractions of our small phones and our iPads and television and everything else, even our text messages and alerts that... It's not unusual anymore to see a family in a restaurant not talking to each other, just eating their meals and looking at their smartphones. How many of you have seen that in the restaurants? Of course you have. We're losing that personal touch. But the conclusion of this article that was written by a physician in the New York Times Something I want to come back to today because he made some statements in the article of how important it was to read to your children. How important it was to read Bible stories to your children. For instance, he said a child that is being entertained and parents use this to babysit their children or so they can do something else. They're being entertained either by a DVD or something on the television or given an iPad. The child is not learning how to think and make those mental connections that help them read and comprehend. He said, so for a preschool child, for instance, like some of the children sitting right up here, for a preschool child, if you were to read to them, the frog jumped over the log. The doctor, good doctor, was saying that the child knows what a frog they've seen a frog maybe in your yard or you've shown them a frog the child knows what a log is because they've seen the log their mind is suddenly taking the spoken word and hopefully one day the the word that they read the written word they're taking that concept i know what a frog is i know what a log is and then they're able to take that concept the frog jumped over the log and they're able, you thought I was going to jump right there, didn't you? They, they jump, they take, and they put all that action together. And the child is learning how to form mental pictures in his mind. And it's what happens when we read Bible stories to our children. It's what happens when we take time to read the Word of God to our children. Even to our children when they're just infants. This doctor was saying in the New York Times that even when your baby is just an infant, you are helping that child's brain to develop by reading to that child. Isn't that amazing? We think the child is just a little eating, pooping machine, but actually the child is a learning human being. Can we give God a hand of praise for the children and the babies He gives us? So the good doctor was saying, read to your children. And this last paragraph I want to read to you out of the article. And he said, as every parent who has read a bedtime story knows, this is all happening in the context of FaceTime not on your phone, but real FaceTime, skin-to-skin contact, the hard-to-quantify but essential mix of security and comfort and ritual. It's what makes toddlers demand the same story over and over again, and it's the reason parents tear up, especially those of us with adult children, when we occasionally happen across a long-ago bedtime book. Does anybody resonate with that this morning? You know what I'm talking about? I can remember, Becky and I can remember all of those times. And as I read that article and I saved that article, there was a passage of Scripture that came to my mind. John John chapter 20, verse 31. But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in Him... You will have life by the power of His name. You know, occasionally, people in our culture, in our society, they think they have a better idea than God. But reading this doctor's report, this doctor's article in the Living Well context of the New uh, New York Times... Reading this doctor's article reminded me one time, once again, there is nobody, no matter how educated and no no matter how technologically advanced we become, there is nobody smarter than God's. There is something powerful about reading and spending time with your children and with your grandchildren. It's why I would say to you that it's important, let's live a life of love In Christ before our children and in our homes. Let's live that life. Let's demonstrate what that life of love is all about. Let's let them grow up in the safety of our homes, where home is not a place to be feared, where home is not a place to be dreaded. Uh, Becky and I wanted our home to be a happy place. We wanted our home to be a place where our kids wanted to bring their friends to and it turned out that that was so, that uh, I would come home and sometimes find kids all across the house eating my groceries, eating my food, and leaving my kitchen a mess. But we were happy to have them there because they were experiencing something called love. They were experiencing Christ in our home. They were experiencing what our children wanted to share with them. Fred Rogers, how many of you know who he is? Mr. Rogers, right? Fred Rogers was giving the Lifetime Achievement Award at the Emmys one year. And that was one of the most powerful. When I heard he was going to be receiving that, I I, I didn't get to watch it on television, but I later got it up on YouTube and was able to watch it. He created an, an astounding total of 895 episodes of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. This is something he said in his speech. So many people have helped me come to this night Some of you are here, some are far away, some are even in heaven. And all of us have special ones who have loved us into being. Would you take just take along with me 10 seconds to think of the people who have helped you become who you are, those who've cared about you and wanted what was best for you in life, just 10 seconds of silence. And what Mr. Rogers was saying was I didn't get here by myself. There were people that believed in me. There were people who took an interest in me. There were people who helped me to get to where I am today. So I would like to do what Mr. Rogers did this morning, and I'll time it so you don't have to worry. Would you just close your eyes across the sanctuary this morning, and would you think of the people who helped you to get to where you're at today? And start now. That didn't take long, did it? And if you're like me, when I just did this myself, there were names like John and Eugenia King, Joe DeFore, who played football for the University of South Carolina. I almost became a Gamecock because of my love for Brother Joe, as I called him, until my daddy did an intervention and got all of that stuff out of my head that Joe was brainwashing me with. There was Mr. and Mrs. Davidson who lived down the road from us in the settlement that I lived in. And even though I had a colostomy and I had all these things that had to be taken care of, they would take me into their home. And Mr. Davidson would set me up on horses and walk me around and care for me. John and Eugenia King, who believed in me and told me, never let my mind, myself be limited by the disabilities I had, and I could just go on with all of the people that I am here. Becky's father was one of those men who would come and pray with me in the hospital and pray with me at home, as he was the youth pastor at our church when I was growing up. And I am so grateful, and I know that you are grateful for the people who helped you to get to where you're at. And friends, there were children on this stage that God has a future, God has a plan for them, but a part of His plan is a church that will love them a church that will believe in them and an entire congregation and community that will stand by them and say you can make it I don't care what's going on you can make it because of Jesus Christ can we give the Lord a hand of praise for that this morning you can make it now here's the cool thing when I remember and I see some of these people who are elderly now. And when you get my age, next month I'll be 64. But when you get my age, a lot of the people who helped you get to where you're at, they're in heaven now. I was telling somebody yesterday, and I don't see Maggie, but uh, Maggie made the cakes for the reception yesterday. And I was telling somebody, when I die, I want a party. I'm leaving instruction, Maggie's going to bake the cakes for my funeral reception. There's going to be fried chicken and gravy, so you can all get to heaven quicker to join me there by eating all of that stuff. We're going to have a party because I won't be up in heaven crying, I won't be up in heaven weeping, I will be in heaven having a party with Jesus, my daddy, my wife's father, I will be celebrating the goodness and the love of God. You see, friends, we have something to live for and a hope to live for. But those people that are a part of our lives today, they helped us to get to where we're at. And we have to somehow, some way or another, learn that we are called not just to receive people's help, but living a life of love in Christ means that we're called to give other people help as well. We're called to serve other people. We're called to help other people succeed. We're called, as the scripture says, in honor to prefer one another. We're called to help make one another successful. And friends, I don't mean it in a self-help kind of way, But every single week, part of my prayer for you is, Lord, as a result of the preaching of the Word this week, help your people, help every individual, help our families, help our marriages, help our churches to be a success at what you've called us to do. Look at what the Bible says. Knowledge, and the Bible's not against knowledge, but knowledge makes people arrogant. But love builds them up. Those who think they know something still have a lot to learn. But if they love God, they are known by God. There's a sense, I don't care how smart you are, but if you are arrogant about it, and you're not loving, and loving means not only loving God, but loving others, that if you're not loving others, then God is not acknowledging you. I want God's blessings upon my life. I want God's blessings upon my family. I want God's blessings upon our church and the reason that I can anticipate God's blessings is because when we learn to walk and live a life of love people matter and not only do Christians matter but lost people matter to God as well can you say amen Amen. the next thing look at this no one has ever seen God ever but if we love one another God dwells deeply within us and his love becomes completing us perfect love circle that in your outline perfect love if you want to know perfect love you've got to know Jesus Christ if you want to know deep love you've got to know Jesus Christ you will never know what love truly is you will have experiences of love you will have experience of brotherly love or as the greek word would say phileo love you will have experience of erotic love as the greek word is eros love but you will never know that selfless loving serving giving kind of love until you know the selfless serving Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself to die for your sins the perfect love of God is expressed in Christ and I love the way Peterson translated this because I feel that I, I can explain the love of God theologically to you I can explain the love of God in the words to you grammatically but when I read how Peterson took this word God dwells deeply within us can't you get the feeling of that deep down within you when you know and you love God. So how do we help our children with that? First of all, we've got to help them build a biblical foundation. It's why I say read the Scriptures daily to your children. It's why, again, one of our core values is that everybody needs a biblical moral compass. And if the PowerPoint fails or the computer crashes and you don't have it up on the screen to read, then you need the Word of God hidden deep within your heart. It's one of the first verses I began to memorize as a child. I have hid your Word in my heart, and if you know the rest of it, say it with me, that I might not... Sin against thee. You see, as you hide the word, it becomes real as you memorize the word. The second thing I would say is protect their hearts. Protect their hearts. There is so much in our world seeking to assault your children, to sexualize your children, to to make materialist out of your children, to confuse your children that there is no such thing as real truth. Everybody has their own truth. And if this is true for you, then it's true. And if this is true for me, it's true. Friends, that is ludicrous. There's only one truth. And I'm not just speaking theologically. There's only one truth. Scientists know this. Logicians know this. You don't have many ways that you can have gravity. You don't have many ways that you can get to the moon. You may have different aircraft. You may have different flight paths, but there's only one truth, and that truth is found in Jesus Christ. And there is no theologian, whether they're a Christian theologian or a Hindu uh, theologian or a, 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 a Muslim theologian, that would ever, ever deny that there's one truth. What you have to decide is whether Christianity is true, or whether Islam is true, or whether uh, Hinduism or Buddhism, whatever ism you want, you've got to decide that. And if you seek God honestly, God will help you with that. God is not far away, but God is close to all of those who call. And we protect our children by building homes of love around them. Life is not a straight line. I wish that it was. Pastor Corey mentioned to you just a few moments ago about Fred Schaff being able to eat again, and we had a wonderful conversation with Fred this week, and he was telling us, and Fred was smiling, and he was happy, and just, it was so good to see Fred that way. But friend, this has been a long haul, and a long journey, And Fred's faith has remained intact, and Carlene's faith has remained intact. And a lot of people expect answers to God to come like microwave coffee. A lot of people expect things to happen instantly. and If God doesn't answer their prayer right away, they give up. But life is not a straight line from point A to point B to heaven. Life is full of zigzags, and life is full of switchbacks. Life is full of hills and valleys and dangerous places. It's the reason the Bible leaves written for us the stories of men like Job, the stories of women like Esther the stories of men like Daniel the three Hebrew children who were tossed in the fiery furnace but God went in the furnace with them and their bonds were burned up it's the reasons we have the story of Paul being stoned twice and shipwrecked friends God gives us those stories because life is not a straight line life has hills and valleys and switchbacks but in every single battle Christ is with us and if we can stand the pull and God will pull us through every time He will pull us through every time. Life is not Disneyland. (laughs) And we have to protect our children's hearts by helping them understand that God will always be there. Matthew 22, our Savior said, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment and the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. I don't, be, I don't want to be weird here this morning. I really don't. And I wouldn't do this if I didn't really feel and think in my spirit we should do this. Now, if you're sitting next to somebody you don't know, don't do this. Because that might creep them out. But would you just look, if you know the person sitting next to you, not your wife, although I know you'd like to say it, but would you look at the person next to you or in front of you know them and say, I love you. Would you do that? I'd love you. Does anybody feel creeped out right now? Good. Does everybody feel loved right now? Yeah? If you do, let's say praise the Lord. You feel loved right now. Amen? So, Pastor, why do you do that? Because time and time again, when I don't get to show up at the back door, maybe I'm praying or maybe something has happened and I can't be at the back door, people will say to me the next week, Pastor, I missed my hug. Your hug is the only hug I get all week long. I miss being told I was loved. Nobody should ever come to Woodland Church without having their hands shaken, their neck hugged, and being told they matter. You matter to God. You matter to us. Can we give him a hand of praise for that as well? And When those Munchkins of yours ran up and grabbed my knees and hugged me this week, and then children that didn't know me because other kids were coming and hugging me, they were hugging me. It's kind of contagious, right? It's a safe atmosphere and a safe place. The second thing I would say is, then practice prayerful thinking. Practice prayerful thinking. I mean, I can't emphasize the importance of this. Now, you may wonder, what did Pastor Corey's scripture reading have to do with the message today? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. That's a sign of your great intelligence, and I will attempt to meet the challenge. You see, Corey read an intense verse this morning about spiritual warfare from 2 Corinthians. In 1965, and I only found this book in a used bookstore maybe 25 years ago before I ever moved up here, This is one of the most enlightening books I ever read on the subject of spiritual warfare. It was written by Donald Gray Barnhouse. I bought the book only because so many of my professors in college were constantly referencing Dr. Barnhouse. But he wrote a book, it was a best-selling book in its day called The Invisible War. And in this book, he says that the battle, listen now, the battle is for your mind, and that battle is vicious it's intense it's unrelenting and it's unfair because satan never plays fair and the reason why the battle is so intense is that your greatest asset is your mind now just don't let that let you don't let that slip by you your greatest asset is your mind say that with me my greatest asset is my mind one more time my greatest asset is my mind. Now, I'm not knocking the charismatic movement, but back in the charismatic revival days, and there was a lot of good that was taking place. I can't tell you how many times I heard people saying, you got to get your mind out of the way. you gotta, You got to, your mind is your enemy. Your mind is standing between you and your faith. Well, nothing could be further from the truth. I remember one time at the Bible college I went to, we had one of those speakers come in, and he said, I want you all to unzip your minds this morning. And he talked about getting our minds out of the way. And I remember asking one of my professors, Bash Bishop, who who I deeply loved and deeply respected. He was funny. He was humorous. He loved God. And I said, Brother Bishop, how could our minds be of our enemies if God created our minds. And he knew I was referring to the speaker that we had that morning. And he said, son, he's only trying to help you understand don't let doubts fill your mind. A doubt-filled mind is your enemy. A faith-filled mind is your friend. Can you say amen? amen? And that's what our speaker was trying to get at. You see, I have seen the face of mental illness. I worked in mental health. I've stayed in that hospital overnight many times. I've been there many days. I've worked with patients, everybody from admirals to your common drug addict off the street, from the pimps to the prostitutes. I have seen and worked and loved and prayed and sweated with those people. I have seen the face of mental illness. I know what mental illness looks like, but I will tell you today, Corey read something in that passage of Scripture that Brother Bishop taught me back in the 70s that you need to know. There are strongholds that can be formed in our minds. Strongholds of doubt. Strongholds of unbelief. Strongholds of misunderstanding. And God gives us the power to pull those strongholds down through Jesus' holy name. Can you say amen? amen? God gives us the power. What is a stronghold? It can be worldviews. It's the reason I say build a biblical worldview. It can be materialism, hedonism, secularism, socialism, communism. Anyism can be a stronghold. It can be an attitude. It can be worry. It can be doubt. It can be fear. We allow those things to govern us rather than our faith to govern us. For some people, it can be the approval of other people. And that's what holds a lot of people back because we're worried about what other people think about us. There's only one person that you need to be worried about what they think about you, and that is Jesus Christ. If you can please God, you will find you'll be able to live at peace with most people. If you can please God, you can find you can live at peace with most people. And so don't live trying to please people, live To please the Lord. And God says we tear these things down. Some of you may be wrestling with guilt for things that have been covered by the blood of Jesus and you're forgiven. Some of you, it may have been an abortion that you had before you came to know Christ and you think God can never use me. Please listen to me this morning. When God forgives you of your sins, they're washed away as though they had never happened. He cleanses you. Some of you are thinking maybe about a divorce you wish you'd never done and the pain you bought to your children and to your, your wife or your husband and you wish that never happened. But when God forgives you, He cleanses Don't let God Guilt become a stronghold. God is not in the guilt business. He will convict you. He will bring you to a place where you go, God, you're right and I'm wrong. Forgive me. That's what conviction is. But guilt is the tool of the enemy to keep you down, to keep you defeated, and to keep you from focusing on God. God is not as big as your guilt because guilt gets a hold of you and it becomes a stronghold. But when you see the blood of Jesus and you see the cross for what it is, every sin, every struggle has been broken by the power and the blood of Jesus Christ somebody say praise the Lord this morning that's the power of the blood it's the reason I would hear my parents pray sometime in times of desperation Lord we plead the blood of Christ nothing can cross the blood of Jesus Christ well I want you to look at this verse with me because I want to tie these together for you The Bible says in the book of Philippians, chapter 4, verse 6, don't worry about anything. And you might be thinking to yourself, God, have you lost your mind? God has never lost His mind. But God is telling you, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Now, I meet with a lot of people. This has been an intense week. I've not only had the joy of loving your children, but I've had to deal with two suicides this week and helping two different families with suicides. One was a pastor, a godly man, good man. The stress and things got a hold of his life and, and he just, we're not even sure why, but there's a devastated family and friends. And we're working through it. Friday, I was working on funeral services. And walk out just to be baptized and loved by those kids. But here's what I find out. Now, listen, I love you. I'm your pastor. Here's what I found out a lot of time. People will come to see me worried or scared. And then I'll ask them, Have you been in prayer about this? Have you been seeking God about this? And they'll go, No, Pastor. I just, I can't pray. I can't. You can pray. Prayer is not the amount of words you use, prayer is just getting before the Lord and casting your fears and your doubts upon him. It's okay to say, God, I don't know how to handle this. God hears that from me about at least once a week. All the time. I don't know how to handle this. But even prayerful reading of the word, it's why Barna and Tyndale were defined that 82% of the people who were regular readers of the word, people who pray, they found peace They found joy. They found stability in their life. Let's go ahead with the passage. Tell God what you need. It's okay to ask God. We talked about this last night in the prayer service. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. Don't just make a prayer request, but spend time worshiping. Most of my prayer time is not in asking. I I do ask every day, but most of my time is just in loving Jesus and worshiping Jesus because the more I worship Him, the smaller my problems become. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Not as you live in television, not as you live in novels, but as you live in Christ. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you've learned and received from me and everything you heard from me. So are you listening? Because I'm preaching his word. So listen and everything you've heard from me and saw me doing. And then the God of peace will be with you. Thus saith the Lord. Then the God of peace will be with you. And most commentaries separate these two passages And treat them separately but in the scripture there's not this break that a lot of times we artificially insert into the Bible there's not that break that we put there and so I was sitting there with my paragraph Bible and it doesn't have all the breaks and the verse numbers and things like that but I'm just sitting there looking at the context and this point just jumped out at me prayerful thinking You see, prayer is not mindlessness. Prayer is not emotionalism. Prayer is coming before God and fixing your thoughts on things that are excellent. Underline that in your outline. I've got it. I put it in there. Things that are excellent. It's fixing your mind, getting before the Lord, letting God heal your mind because, now look at me, look at me just a second. Letting God heal your mind because you shouldn't believe everything you think. Have you ever thought this, so-and-so doesn't like me? That's probably not true. It might be, but it's probably not true. Have you ever thought, I'm not going to have enough to retire on? Have you ever thought, I'm not going to have enough to raise kids? Or have you ever thought, this world has gotten to be such a horrible place, I don't know if we should have kids? Have you ever thought, you know, we're not going to make it? Don't believe everything you think. As I challenged dads last week, believe your faith, doubt your doubts, because everything that comes into our mind is not necessarily healthy. That's why Dr. Barnhouse wrote these words. The enemy is after your greatest asset, your mind. When you read that whole scripture that Pastor Corey read from this morning, go home and read it today. The fiery missiles... The fiery darts that Satan fires, he doesn't fire it at your heart. He doesn't fire it at your vitals. He fires it at your mind because he knows if he can defeat you in your mind, he can defeat you in your faith, and he can defeat you in your walk with Christ. Guard your heart and guard your mind with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Can you say amen? And that's what happens when we think prayerfully. Never, never stop learning. Keep growing. Keep reading. In your summer reading this year, when you, when you go to the beach, and I will never understand why people want to go lay in the dirt and sweat. <laughs> and they take what they call their summer reading list with them. Instead of going to the beach and reading some steamy romance novel, instead of going to the beach and reading some spy novel where he puts two bullets between their eyes, you see, Pastor, why do you know about those? I don't know about the steamy romance novels. Becky does, but I don't. <laughs> I know about the spy novels because she may be laying the dirt and sweat beside her for one vacation. One vacation. Put something on your reading list that will feed your faith. Put a biography of a great missionary. If you need help, I'll, I'll help you. Put, put a book on your reading list about prayer. Put a book on your reading list about raising godly children. Put a book on your reading list about having a healthy marriage. Put something healthy. Stay sharp. Always be learning and growing. Let the Holy Spirit stretch your imagination because as you read and learn, suddenly dreams will begin to birth in your heart. You'll have imaginations that the Holy Spirit is stimulating inside of you. You don't have to settle for the everyday humdrum of life. There is an adventure out there. So honey, saddle up your horses and get ready to do something great for the glory of God. Can we give him a hand of praise for that? He wants to do that for you. Now you're sitting there thinking, I don't want to do something great. I'm retired. I want my lazy boy. Well, God has sent me here to beat on your door this morning and say, get up out of that chair and do something for the glory of God. No. Do something with your life. Enjoy your children. Don't you know, look at what the Bible says. Don't you know, children are the God's best gift. The fruit of the womb is generous legacy like a warrior's fistful of aerials are the children of vigorous youth. Oh, how blessed are you parents with your quivers full of your children. Your enemies don't stand a chance against you. You'll sweep them right off your doorstep. You know what your greatest social security is? It's not the United States government. Your greatest social security is the children that you're raising today. You see, as the parents of four wonderful kids, we're so thankful. Chris, Rachel are here. Would you stand up, Chris and Rachel, and welcome them today? Mr. and Mrs. Clanton. Mr. and Mrs. Clanton. Finally, Mr. and Mrs. Clanton. <laughs> you can be seated. Well, I told Chris this morning, I says, you're not the golden hair child anymore. She is. We love Rachel, we love her family and her parents. But I'm so thankful to be able to say to you we've enjoyed raising our children. We're enjoying our grandsons. Rachel accused me in between services of preaching this message so that they would have babies quick. <laughs> That's not a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> Make memories. <laughs> you just made one. <laughs> I can remember, I was telling them the first service, I can remember when they were little. You know, I'd take them into the front yard and I'd say, okay, I want you to walk towards the street and I want you to practice this. When mom says stop or dad says stop, I want you to s- just stop. Don't look back, don't wait, don't ask why, just stop. And I could see them in their little cowboy boots and they'd be walking out and we'd say, stop! And they'd stop. Stop! And they'd stop. Sometimes we'd go to a theme park like Six Flags Over Georgia. I had about 4,000 students there one year for a summer event and, you know, we were really concerned. So we practiced, we got, stop! Because it was noisy. They'd stop. We taught them to. You'll be safe. You won't always understand why mom and dad are saying. One day you're going to be teenagers. You won't understand why we're saying what we're saying. One day you're going to be in college and you won't understand. And there are going to be times when we won't have time to explain. But you need to understand as we have family devotions every night, as we read every night, as we pray together every night, as we vacation and do things together, we're building a relationship that you can trust that if we say stop, you know to stop. If we say go, you know to go you make those memories together. The Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter four and verse nine, but watch out, be careful, never to forget what you yourself have seen. Don't let these memories escape from your mind as long as you live. And be sure to pass them on to your children and grandchildren. You have memories today of God's faithfulness in your life. You have memories of God's faithfulness in your dating life. You have memories of God's faithfulness in your financial life. You have memories of how God forgave you of your sins or delivered you from a habit. You have those memories. Pass them on to your children so that they will know what to do when they face the battles of life. And then learn and share all you can. The Bible says intelligent people are always ready to learn their ears are open for knowledge how many of you are intelligent this morning can I see your hand I didn't say you were a scholar but you're intelligent can I see your hand of course put your hand up back there you are intelligent people there's a stronghold right now that needs to be broken in a bunch of people's lives here you see you're ready to learn the Bible says if you have good sense you'll learn all you can how many of you have got good sense the rest of you there's no hope for you <laughs> you're gonna die <laughs> you see people with good, they they're constantly wanting to learn the bible says in Hosea chapter 4 verse 6 my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge at home I won't even bring it out anymore I have the bible story book that Kim and Teresa and I grew up with that our parents read to us out of and that book is so precious to me. Kim and Teresa are jealous that I have it. They're not going to get it. <laughs> but going back and looking and remembering how my parents, by my daddy's green Nagahai chair <laughs> in front of the fireplace, we gathered for family devotions. And my daddy's hand would be on his forehead like this in prayer. My mama would be... Hallelujah, hallelujah. She'd be praying after we read these stories and they'd lay hands on us and pray for us. We have the Bible story book that we read to our children. And I was thumbing through it this week just remembering them singing and creating dramas to go along and wonderful memories that we share as a family. Last year I found this book and I ordered it and I loved it. I gave it to our grandsons and I gave Dana... A copy to be able to to lead devotions with them especially when Andrew was gone, but this is so superior it's written at a child's level like any of these little ones up here and Let me just give you two examples just to show you how powerful this is This is the creation story and you'll understand why I'm so impressed with this as I make a couple of comments in the beginning there was nothing This is from Genesis 1-2. In the beginning, there was nothing. Nothing to hear, nothing to feel, nothing to see. Only emptiness and darkness and nothing but nothing. Well, that's exactly what that word void means in the Bible. But it's put in language that a child would understand, along with the colorful pictures. But God was there, and God had a wonderful plan. I'll take this emptiness, God said, and I'll fill it up. Out of the darkness, I'm going to make light. And out of nothing, I'm going to make everything, everything. And now, this sentence is important. Like a mommy bird flutters her wings over her eggs to help her babies hatch, God hovered over the deep. And every child can get that. But that's exactly what that Hebrew word means, is that God was incubating that void, that nothingness, and he began to create. And it goes through the in a beautiful, colorful, artistic way. Uh, Let me skip thousands of years ahead to the resurrection story. Everybody, it goes through the angel appearing to them, and the stories are colorful, they're beautiful. And finally, Mary was saying, I don't know where Jesus is. I can't find him. But it was all right. Jesus knew where she was, and he found her and you look at your child and you say, you know something? Jesus knows where you're at. And he will always find you. He will never lose you. Do you remember that time where I lost you? You and I couldn't find each other, and you were crying, and we had security. Jesus will never lose you. And you know why we found each other? It's because Jesus was there. You stop, and you're helping your children learn. Mary. Only one person said her name like that. She could hear her heart thumping. She turned around. She could just make out like a figure. She shaded her eyes to see. And she thought she was dreaming. She wasn't dreaming. She was seeing Jesus. And then you pray with your children and teach them while they're young. And those minds are forming. Remember what the good doctor said. When you're reading to your children, even as an infant, you're still stimulating their mind. You're creating connections. The frog jumped over the log. You're creating, you're building faith in your children. You're tearing down strongholds before they even get started. God's word is true. Jesus is alive. God has a plan for your life. Our children need to be taught the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. I I want you to take this because the baby crying there, I was like, who do I give it to this morning? Now I know who to give it to. It's powerful. You fill your home with stuff like that. Well, I've got to wrap this up. Honey, if you'll come on up, I'll I'll be brief. Those are words that every person in the pew loves to hear. (laughs) They're not always true, but (laughs) recognize your giftedness and do good by faith. Recognize your giftedness. I had a little fun with you just now. You didn't raise your hand, some of you, when I said intelligent. Because you believed a stronghold. You're not very smart. You didn't raise your hand just now when I said people with common sense. Because somebody has always told you you weren't very smart or you couldn't learn or maybe in the back of your head you're hearing an angry mom or an angry dad or a school teacher why don't you just hit some common horse sense look at me look at me I mean look right here at me you're created in the image of God those people lied to you they didn't mean to hurt you they were exasperated I've said things I wish I hadn't said but that's a lie you are intelligent you have talent you have skills and when you gave your heart to Jesus he gave you spiritual gifts so that you could do something good for the glory of God there was a man named Moses that he was different and some of you in here, you know you're different. I'm talking right now, and you you just resonate. You know you're different. God has done things differently in your life. Sometimes people don't understand because you're different. Moses should have died. Moses was put into a little pitch-covered ark in a river full of crocodiles. He should have died. Moses was pulled out and adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. That should have never happened Because the Egyptians were killing all the Jewish little boys Moses his mother birth mother was brought in to be his wet nurse And the palace of Pharaoh should have never happened They despised They despised the Hebrews Moses was trained and given the best of education and leadership and rule and science and astronomy. Moses ended up on the backside of the desert, defeated and broken. And 40 years later, God appeared to him. Moses, curious about that burning bush, he walked over to see why it didn't burn up and he heard a voice say, Moses, Moses. Take off your shoes. This is holy ground. And this morning, this is a holy place where we're sitting. Not because of this building, but because God is here. This is a holy time because God is here. God gives Moses his plan and Moses asks a really good question. A really good question. He says, God, who am I? That's a great question. I find myself asking that question all the time, John. Lord, who am I? I feel like the country music singer sometime. What, I've, what have I ever done to deserve even one of the blessings you've given? The answer is nothing. I'm nothing without Christ. I can do nothing without Christ. And I haven't done anything to deserve any blessings in either of you. And Moses, though goes downhill from there he starts giving God all the reasons see he's defeated there's a stronghold in his mind he's defeated because of his past experiences in his mind he's a failure all he'll ever be is a shepherd and he tells God all the reasons and God is going there's another one of those guys they don't think they're smart they don't think they're intelligent they don't think they have common sense Here we go again. You say, how do you know God was thinking that? I just know. Finally, he tells Moses, I mean, really? It's like, shut up. I'm going to use you, Moses. And you know the rest of the story. You see, you're created in the image of God. You are not an accident. supposed to be here for this time and this hour and God wants to use you to do something good for the glory of his name and out of love for everyone else love for the body of Christ, love for your lost neighbor love for your children God wants to use you so would you commit to giving more in life than taking out of life would you commit to learning all you can and would you commit today who was one of those people that you thought of when I ask you just to think for 10 seconds who helped you get to where you're at and call them or write them and just say thank you I am a life that you influenced and you blessed and would you commit to loving these children and making them know they matter to God amen Amen. stand with me and let me pray with you hallelujah oh Jesus If you're comfortable doing this, would you just, just, let's just lift our hands and just love Him for a moment, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, I love you, Lord, I love you, Lord, hallelujah. I worship you, I worship you, Lord, I worship you be your holy name. I thank you, Lord, that every single one of us, every one of us, that in the darkness of our mother's womb you were there. And that every one of us, Lord, are fearfully and wonderfully made. And that before we ever breathed our first breath, that, Lord, you had a plan for our lives. And, Lord, that it was simply to live, to love, and prayerfully serve. And I pray that right now, Lord, that if there are strongholds that keep us from living and loving and praying and serving. God, right now, will we just take authority through the blood of Jesus? Pull those things down and as Brother Bishop taught me, start filling our minds with the good things of God. With the faithful things of God. And if there are folks here, Lord, that haven't crossed the line and given their hearts and lives to you yet, pray Jesus this morning, today they would accept by faith what you did for them at Calvary you died for their sins if that's you I'm not looking around, I'm just asking you to bow your head and pray quietly with me the question is not can you live it, none of us can live it without the help of the Lord The question is not whether you're good enough none of us are good enough the question is simply this do you believe that Jesus Christ the son of God died for your sins and was resurrected again on the third day and will you accept by faith him as the master and the ruler of your life And if so, I ask you just to pray this with me. You just pray it quietly to the Lord. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe in you. You are the divine Son of God. I believe that your death upon the cross paid for my sins. And I believe that you love me. And I pray, teach me how to love you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I don't know how to do this. So I cast myself like the pastor totally upon you. I want to be born again. And I want to live and love and pray and serve. Bound. And I just want to know. I want you to be the first person you testified to. And if you committed your life to Christ today, would you hold up your hand and say, "Pastor, keep in your prayers this week"? Just hold it up high. Hold it up high. Four people this morning. Let me count again. Hold it up high again. Let me be sure. Two. this morning. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise right now in the name of Jesus? Hallelujah. The angels in heaven rejoice with you. That's what the Bible says. And in the back, at our connection table, it's right through these doors, we have a gift I'd love to give you to help get you started in this walk with Christ. And there'll be some folks there waiting to help you if you'll be so kind just leave your name with them and your email or your address I'll write you this week and send you some other stuff to help you and um, I just want to know who you are and be praying with you but before Becky makes some announcements let me pray a prayer blessing over you this morning okay Father in the name of Jesus last night we acknowledged from the word of God your thoughts are wonderful towards us The Bible says your thoughts are precious about us. The Bible declares that you are always with us. So now, in the name of Jesus Christ, may your face shine upon us. May we sense your presence wherever we go. And may people be aware of the love and the glory of God emanating from our lives so they might find the hope that we have found in Jesus Christ. Would you make us prosperous and productive in all we do? And would you help us, Lord, to love, to pray, to live, and to serve in the name of Jesus Christ. And everybody said,